Hello, this is Glenda Taylor. Welcome to the One and All Wisdom podcast. Today I want to tell you about something that happened to me recently. I had to have my car's U-joints replaced. The mechanic told me that lately this is happening more frequently with some of the types of cars because of something about the new transmissions. He said that increasing a car's number of gear options made it more difficult to shift smoothly from one gear to another and at points of uncertainty between gears a strong vibration happens affecting and wearing out the u-joint. There's nothing wrong with the new transmissions themselves apparently but some adjustments and fine-tuning are needed to make shifting especially at the times during transitions easier. Quite aside from the 300 and something dollars this cost me. That experience set me thinking about what the mechanic said as a metaphor for some things happening in our society right now. Many of us are having difficulty shifting gears smoothly with all the changes in our world. We humans do have to shift gears just as cars do, and we have those moments that can be stressful as we transition from one mode to another. A person told me recently that after he got a promotion, he was in transition, still doing some of the old job while also learning the new job. He was training someone to take his place while being trained himself for the new position. He said, sometimes it's abrupt and challenging to switch easily between being trainer and trainee. We all have many modes we have to switch back and forth between, different ways of being and Transitions aren't always easy. Many times we say, I'm walking around, but I'm not awake yet. Or, I got whiplash coming out of that experience we had and then getting right back out into the hectic traffic or whatever. Sometimes, individually and culturally, our transitions are so particularly difficult and our gears grind or vibrate in unhealthy ways that wear us out or create difficult breakdowns. Shifting gears can be challenging, especially now when we in some ways, like our car transmissions, may have or have forced upon us different options, some we welcome, some we don't. Change, even dramatic change, is happening all around us. How do we deal with it? Well, for one thing, being aware, really aware, of the various elements we are dealing with would help. Think about this. Musicians who want to play a song together usually start by getting clear about what key the song is going to be played in. Various keys would work. One key is not right or wrong in and of itself. Any key might do, though changing keys would likely change the mood since, for example, the key of, say, A minor will sound different from the key of G. It all depends on what the musicians are, are trying to convey. But if they are to play harmoniously together, they probably want to get in sync and get smoothly into the same key. And so knowing enough about the keys, being able to identify and switch smoothly is necessary. And as musicians in a band, say, decide on a set number of pieces of music for an evening's performance, they may want to include pieces from more than one genre or mood, and getting those in a certain order and 
being ready to change smoothly from one to another during performance might be important. If they have worked together for a while, shifting genres or keys even during an extemporaneous jam session might be easy. They recognize each other's signals when something is about to change and adjust accordingly. But if another musician new to the band, especially one who isn't aware, say, of the difference between A minor and G major, or say between the modes of classical blues and hip-hop, wants to sit in, that could potentially be a problem to the success of the band's performance. Discernment matters. Or think about languages. If you are traveling abroad and you don't know much about another foreign language, you can get yourself in trouble by saying something you think means one thing, but actually comes out meaning something quite different in that language. This can cause you (laughs) to be ridiculed at best or possibly killed at worst. Miscommunication based on innocent ignorance happens. One language may not be any better or worse than another. There may not be any absolute way of saying something, but having information and discernment about different types of communication and different ways of expression is important. Today, in our world, different ways of expressing one's being are happening all around us. In many ways, there are more options, just as there are more options in our new car's transmissions, lots of changes, Some of it feels progressive, some repressive, some just happening. But let's face it, like it or not, change is happening, and it isn't always easy. But there are good reasons why change is necessary on a lot of fronts. And since change is inevitable, how we deal with it, constructively or destructively, really matters. From my eldering perspective, I can see clearly that there are built-in difficulties today in our societies being able to shift gears smoothly, of our somehow getting in sync with one another to avoid, well, knocking out our U-joints, all the ways we join up together to make society work. If we as a culture are going to go forward, and if we are going to be able to shift keys in the midst of our performance as a people, Even if we are going to create new gears or new keys that change what has always come before, if we are to do that, to move forward, then I think it would greatly help if, like the musicians in my example, we somehow can have a clear mutual understanding of the keys that we're already accustomed to playing, the default modes that we have long been used to following so that we can more easily see how to shift into new and different ways of thinking and being. In short, I think we all need to be very conscious and clear about what has long been built into our psyches, so to speak. Not because these old ways are the best, or the ones that have to be forever maintained or continued, but because they're there, solidly there, mostly unconsciously there, and shifting fluidly out of them, or back and forth between them, and into some new gear, (laughs) require some fine-tuning culturally and personally. And I repeat, for all of us, most of these patterns, these ways of being, are unconscious, automatic. We think we are self-aware, but honestly, most of us could use a tune-up 
Most of the time, we're going on automatic pilot without much conscious awareness about any grinding of gears that we may be part of socially and culturally. I heard a friend tell a story about this recently. She and her daughter were on vacation in a rental car, traveling in the mountains on steep and winding roads. She said they saw many signs that said, save your brakes, shift into low gear. But as her daughter remarked, the car they were driving was an automatic, and it only gave the choices of park, drive, reverse, and neutral. Once they started driving, it was on automatic. How do I manually shift into low gear, her daughter asked. We might ask the same thing about our own automatic behaviors, our ways of thinking. How do we shift or downshift? How do we save our brakes when we are resisting change? How do we downshift out of our automatic reactions, slow down while we adjust to changing circumstances? We know that there are patterns, ways of thinking, so deeply ingrained in us, so long established that they are automatic. These are the default gears in our consciousness. Been there a long time. We're used to them. We don't even think about them. Now, we are presented with some new choices, some new variables, or some big changes. Maybe the changes seem or are labeled too progressive or liberal or something else derogatory. Derogatory labeling is one defensive way of attempting to avoid change, pushing us into opposing silos, making change more difficult. Some so-called conservative people can feel threatened by new options, by change. For to them, some sense of stability or security is greatly in need of defending. Or maybe the changes happening around us seem regressive, that things are going backward rather than forward, so that just when we thought we as a culture had made important improvements and finally settled in after big changes, here comes some new legal and cultural shift that is wiping out all that progress we thought was secure. And, well, either way, all this is truly throwing us our culture a curve, grinding our nerves, damaging the cohesiveness of our culture, and affecting our individual lives and health. In truth, most of us are within ourselves of many minds about a lot of the issues before us. Few of us are altogether liberal or conservative or altogether anything. Part of us is ready to move forward. Part is resistant. Part is clueless about how to proceed. And all of that is confusing. And therefore, we often react in ways that we ourselves don't understand. So how do we become more self-aware, have better understanding of all the elements at play? Well, we can start with ourselves. Instead of blaming someone or something else as the cause of the changes or the causes of our feelings, how do we start with ourselves? From ancient times, wise people have given us advice. As long ago as the 2nd century BCE, the Hindu philosopher Patanjali commented on the ways that we are of many minds, how we have various modes of consciousness within us. He described in detail at least seven modes of consciousness, seven states of being, each quite different from the other, and described the importance and value of each and indicated how we best can move from one to another appropriately and usefully 
and skillfully. For example, the difference between alert conscious awareness and quiet relaxation, daydreaming, deep meditation, between light sleep and deep sleep, and so forth. Scientists can map shifts between these states of consciousness precisely and can tell us, for example, when we shift into dreaming, when we stop dreaming, and when we become more conscious of the outer rather than the inner world. We know about that. However, most of us aren't so much attentive to the inherent content and character of any one of those states of consciousness within us. We aren't necessarily clued in to either the value or the problematic nature of any one of these differing modes of consciousness and the importance of transitions between them. If, for example, we're sleepwalking, literally or figuratively, somewhere between states of consciousness, we can walk into harm's way and so forth. So yoga teachers, among others, want us to develop what they interestingly call witness consciousness, a way of staying observant, of recognizing the difference between, say, our logical cognitive functioning, between that and hallucination, with no material reality, or an emotional reaction, or a physical condition that impinges on our clear seeing or thinking, or various other ways of being, each one different from the other, but all somehow needing to be coordinated if we are to have wholeness. So we must just pay attention, notice, witness how we're being, how we're reacting, where that reaction is coming from, and adjust ourselves in a good way. We can do this better if we already know the parameters for good or ill of being any one way or another. This witness consciousness, they say, is the key to our enlightened well-being. And with it, our discernment gives us the ability to make healthy choices in a given situation, as well as to shift gears appropriately and seamlessly when necessary. This witness consciousness, it seems to me, could serve us well today in our culture and in our own personal lives. Our interactions with others, whether they will be pleasant and positive or troubled and destructive, may depend on how well we clearly understand and can discern all aspects of a situation, and also the different modes or ways of being that we are all heir to. The main aim of traditional yoga practice and other contemplative practices is achieving a certain deep discernment of the nature of differing modes of consciousness so that we can be, as one writer put it, quote, disentangled from muddy defilements. (laughs) I guess it was the muddled defilements that got to my U-joints. Let's use an example to amplify what I'm talking about. Let's use gender identity as one among many examples we might consider that illustrate this. There is a significant and determined shift among younger people today toward more open concepts of gender identity, more options. I support a more open perspective about all this. And it would be, I think, most helpful for everyone, young and old, 
to be very clear about the nature of and the causes for the modes of consciousness we have long been dealing with that make change in this regard difficult. And again, this is not only for the younger generations pushing for change, but also for the older and sometimes more resistant generations who have some experience under their belts about the effects of change or the lack thereof. It's complicated. I have heard, for example, some women who have long been a part of the women's liberation movement, working hard for years for the legal rights of women in our culture, now bristle suddenly about certain aspects of the movement for, say, transgender rights. The word transgender can have several different meanings, of course, ranging from emotional to legal to biological. But the question that often comes up for some women is about how a person who is or was biologically male can possibly know what it means, quote, to be a woman who has had menstrual cramps all her adult life or who has carried a child in her womb or nursed it and whatever. Or it's asked, how can that transgender biological male, who perhaps now wants bathroom or shower rights with females, how can he, she, they know how it feels to have been a female who for a lifetime has always had to be on, on some level on guard and at risk of being accosted or raped by a stranger, a male, stronger and more aggressive than a woman, and how all that affects her attitude toward her young daughters being in that restroom or bathhouse with a once male, now female trans person. I'm all for their having their rights, one woman said to me. But this part of it has to be considered. She went on, How can any male, for that matter, really know how it has been for a female, a woman, for countless generations, who up until not so long ago had no legal rights to her children or property or anything else, or even now still to be treated unequally in the workplace, denied tenure at a university, or discriminated against in getting a credit card, or buying a house, and on and on it still goes, she said. The question being asked, I guess, is in short, how can a newly made transgender female know how deeply ingrained are the ancient and archetypal roles and modes women have been assigned to and have been in, both for good and ill, for thousands of years? Some women today, generous-hearted and open-minded women, feel caught between two opposing but equally impinging ways of being, the old repressive ways that continue to limit a woman's rights, on the one hand, and on the other, the new, inclusive diversity of ways that can seem to wipe out any distinction whatever between men and women, biology and gender, getting confused in the mix. One woman said to me, I've seen myself as progressive and open-minded all my life. Now I feel defensive and offended that there is so little appreciation of all that we have struggled through. How tenuous that progress is in light of the very conservative attitudes of people in our culture. I fear what may be lost for all of us if there is not better communication, if we can't figure this out. And of course, on the other side, I hear the voices of those people who are pressing for change now, insisting upon legal and cultural changes 
that make all our interactions more inclusive, that allow more freely for diversity, that support transgender and gender fluid rights. We are not going back to the old ways, they say. We are living now with prejudice and exclusion, and we are moving ahead. <laughs> I'm reminded of an old women's lib song, Move on over or we'll roll right over you. I understand that feeling. And from experience, many of us who have struggled for women's rights, minority rights, human rights, the rights of the earth herself, and so forth, we also understand all too clearly how hard it is to get it right, to make it stick, to be understood, to communicate, to keep our own center while in the struggle. In short, how important it is to work on ourselves and to help others understand us if we are to transition smoothly into any new ways of being, socially, culturally, and individually, that we are advocating. Such questions and such statements coming from any side of such issues about change can't be simply brushed aside as prejudice or narrow-mindedness or resistance to or insistence upon change. They should be addressed, I think, with the question uppermost in our minds as to how we can transition and go forward without leaving all these complicated transition issues unattended so that they become the vibrations that break the U-joints, that mess up the gears, so that there is no fluidity or easy, smooth, healthy transition from one mode of being to another, culturally or individually. Sometimes today, if I listen to the news or to a conversation among people, it feels as if our very society is like an old car that is vibrating with so much tension it might just fly apart at any moment. I really care about all that. Personally, I've long subscribed to those values present in many spiritual traditions that say that the goal of mature spiritual development or enlightenment, if you will, is to be able to move freely in all directions around the medicine wheel, as the Native Americans say, because all directions, all ways of being are sacred and good, and to be whole, as many psychologists and seers alike say, is to be able to embody and experience as much as possible of the diversity of what it is to be human in a good way, in a sacred way, in a discerning way, with that witness consciousness I was talking about being present and intact. But all the traditions are also clear that it is an up-and-down learning curve to get there. Getting to wholeness is rarely, if ever, a sudden leap. It must include the attainment of understanding and appreciation for both the positive and negative aspects of any particular direction, any particular way of being. Whether one moves in good order or in a chaotic, often destructive way, often depends upon how truly well-informed we are and how attentive to the subtleties of our attitudes and behaviors we present. Simple things can be revealing. I was in a discussion recently in a musical group about how a leader called for the voices in a chant. The group's old way was women's voices, men's voices, and everyone's voices. Now, <laughs> there is high voices, low voices, and everyone's voices. There is good discussion about the value and difference of each of these ways of doing it and how we just had to be clear in communicating how our hearts were in it at the outset. 
It is toward adding to these ongoing conversations about gender and about other things by sharing and exploring in depth some of the very ancient ways and some of the archetypes that are at play in our identity and some of the psychological nuances and perturbations at play that I hope to be of service along with others, especially to the younger generation that I so admire and encourage as they break new ground of consciousness, as they insist upon diversity and inclusion. I want to be of help to them and to the rest of us if I can to fine-tune our transmissions so that what we transmit are hand down generation to generation will help our social and psychological interactions to be more peaceful and compassionate and less fraught. Future podcasts here will address some of that and some of the things you will find on the oneandallwisdom.com website will also serve, I hope, in this regard, not only about gender issues, but in many of the ways that our levels or modes of consciousness inform and transform our lives. So, for now, thank you for listening. Until next time, this is Glenda Taylor. Join me next time at the One and All Wisdom podcast and online at the One and All Wisdom website. 